Welcome to Circle 3 Cowboy Fellowship's podcast. We are patriots, unafraid and unashamed to speak the truth and spread the gospel. Today's message is from Gary Lear. Thanks for joining us. Enjoy the show. Um, this is the third week of doing this remote thing. Uh, start to uh, miss having you guys in the building. So, uh, with that being said, let's uh, remember as we open in prayer to keep praying for, for our country, for what's going on. Uh, we've got prayer requests of the church that are still uh, in need. We've got folks dealing with cancer. We've got people uh, dealing with family crisis. Um, we had our first confirmed case that I'm aware of of the coronavirus. That was Joanne Cass that had that, and I understand she's home now, so uh, she was being hospitalized for a few days there. So um, we, uh, we're going to open with prayer, and we just want to remember all these things. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day you've given us, and we thank you for the opportunity to still gather together and to, to share in your word. And Lord, we just pray that you be with this service, and we pray that you be with those who hear it, Lord, and may you speak through us so that they may receive a blessing from you. Lord, I lift up the prayer request for the church. You know each and every need. You know those who are dealing with sickness and those who are dealing with emotional and other issues. I just lift them up to you, Lord, that you may give them comfort and healing. Lord, I uh, thank you uh, that Joanne has made it home. And, Lord, I pray for her continued recovery and, and for Steve as he's uh, quarantined now. And we just pray that you watch over him, guys. And pray, Lord, that you be with this country and with this world. Pray that you be with our leaders. Uh, give them wisdom, Lord, to help us get through this. We just pray that you be with all those who are suffering tonight, today, of coronavirus. And, and Lord, would you, would you just... Uh, Somehow, Lord, if they don't know you, reveal yourself in some way to them so that they may come and know you and, and have life everlasting. Lord, we ask you in all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to welcome everybody at home tuning in on Facebook. Circle Three Cowboy Church. We've worked this week to try to get our uh, internet speed up. We did a speed test this morning, and it looks like it's going to be pretty good. So hopefully this is coming through all right. Uh, as far as announcements go, um, everything is suspended. I don't even know where to go with announcements. We've had some questions about this and that, and, and uh, right now all all activities are suspended down here. Uh, Roping schedule and everything's kind of on hold. We'll just have to see how this coronavirus pans out when they let us get back to it. Uh, I understand that our T-shirts that were on order have come in. They will be available for you to pick up when we can get back into the building. We're not going to try to distribute T-shirts. I, I don't think that's essential right now. So uh, we're going to uh, just have the T-shirts ready. So when we get back in the building, if you've ordered a T-shirt, uh, You'll need to get with Linda Black and get that picked up, and uh, you can take care of it at that time. So, um, get my sermon pulled up here this morning. Um, next week is Easter. Obviously, it looks like we're still going to be shut down, so we'll just do an Easter service like this. Nowhere near what we uh, had hoped for. Uh, Easter is one of our big events. And uh, last year, I think we had 385 people in the building, and we were sure hoping to break that record this year. But 
it doesn't look like any of that's going to be able to happen, so uh, just tune in. We'll give an Easter message, and uh, you know we'll get together again when this all when this all blows over. We'll have events, and we'll we'll put something on uh, this summer to kind of hopefully make up for, for losing out on our Easter celebration here. <clears throat> all right, so uh, you know we I mentioned that Cindy kept me out late fishing. Um, so we went to Lake Powell yesterday and uh, put the boat on the water. And the morning started off really good. I mean, right off the bat, I caught a really nice striped bass, and I thought, boy, things are going to be good. And then that was it. We didn't get anything for the rest, most of the rest of the afternoon. And then later in the afternoon, it was getting close to time to, to turn around and head back in. Cindy caught one and, and, and got it in the boat, so we were tied one to one. And you know, the Lord has a funny way of looking out for for people and, and for Cindy especially because she hooked another one and got it right up to the edge of the boat and before I could get my hands on the dip net and get a dip it got off and if had she got that fish in the boat I would have had no choice but to put her back in quarantine in the barn for catching more fish than me but uh, the Lord was looking out for her yesterday I would have liked to have had the fish it would have been a better catch but uh, of course I'd have liked to have had it on my line rather than hers but that's a whole other story uh, Anyhow, we had a good day, but they are closing the lake pile down. I, I don't understand what closing the lake is going to do to stop the coronavirus. I'm actually thinking about writing a letter to the governor of uh, Utah and asking for a refund on my fishing license. But uh, anyhow, now that I'm done venting that, I guess we can get into the word here. You know, there's a few, couple different ways, three ways that I can see to break a colt. Uh, you know, a young horse. You can break it in. The horse whisperer way is probably the most popular way anymore where everybody's a horse whisperer. And they get out there in the round pen. You do all the groundwork. You desensitize the colt. That is the easiest way on the colt and, and probably you as well uh, to break the colt. And, and, and I think you probably in the long run get a much better result. The second way is kind of the old way. When you didn't have a whole lot of time to break a colt, you literally had to break his spirit. Get on, let him buck, throw you off, get back on, let him buck, throw it, until one of you broke. And usually the hope was that the colt would break. There was a need and a time for that. Imagine being out west back in the days of outlaws and Indians and all of that. And let's just say that an outlaw bushwhacked you and killed your horse and you didn't have time to do the horse whisperer thing. You would literally have to get on your colt. You'd have to get it broke because you needed to get on down the trail. You did not have time to mess around. But the third way... <coughs> me. The third way to break a cult is to be Jesus. See, Jesus, who created everything, including that cult, he has a very unique way of breaking a cult. We're going to read about that in Luke. In Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 35. After Jesus had said this, he went on ahead, going up to Jerusalem. As he approached Bethphage, and Bethany at the hill called Mount of Olives, he sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and as you enter it, you will find a colt tied there, which no one has ever ridden. Untie it and bring it here. <coughs> Excuse me. If anyone asks you why you are untying it, say, The Lord needs it. Those who were sent ahead went and found it, just as he had told them. As they were untying the colt, the owners asked him, Why are you untying the colt? They replied, they brought the colt to Jesus, threw on their cloaks and the, on the colt, 
and put Jesus on it. So if you're Jesus, you simply just get on. Because the cult knows you're his creator. Now, none of us have the privilege of being able to do that. We have to do it one of two other ways, the hard way and the harder way. And so Jesus, on the other hand, even that cult, that unbroke cult, and it was the cult of a donkey to boot. If you've ever had a donkey, they're not the sharp, well, they actually are the sharpest tool in the shed. They're smarter than you are, but they make life very, very difficult on you, and they can be hard to deal with. But Jesus simply just got on this unbroke colt and rode it on into Jerusalem. We're going to read on in this story, Luke chapter 19, 36 through 40. As he went along, people spread their cloaks on the road. When he came near the place where the road goes down the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began to joyfully praise God in loud voices. For all the miracles they had seen, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven, glory in the highest. Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. So here comes Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem. Now Jesus knows this is his last time. He knows what lie ahead. See, today is what we call Palm Sunday. Now this telling of the story says they laid their cloaks out. If you look at some of the other gospel writers, they will mention that they actually cut palm leaves and laid them out. Either way, there was a multitude of people who saw Jesus coming in, and the power of God was so powerful at that moment, they were praying, or they were praising him to the point that annoyed the Pharisees. Sounds like it doesn't take a lot to annoy a Pharisee. I think Nancy Pelosi might be a Pharisee. I'm not going to get too deep into politics, but she seems annoyed all the time. She just seems like a grouchy old woman. But that's what it was. They were constantly annoyed with Jesus. They were looking for any reason they could to crucify him. They were trying to trap him. They would ask him questions as Jesus entered into Jerusalem. <coughs> Excuse me. He spent the next week teaching, performing miracles and doing things. He, he cleared the temple of all the money changers. And the Pharisees were right there every step of the way trying to, 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 to hang him up. I'm pretty sure the Pharisees were working for CNN. I think that's what was happening. But every moment they were trying to, and every time they tried, Jesus, if you ask me in reading the story, he made them look like a bunch of fools. So it's no wonder they wanted to crucify him. They were outwitted by all means. But the story that we just read has been given the nickname. You're not going to find this name anywhere in the Bible necessarily. But it's been given the name, the Triumphal. Now it might be in your Bible where they title it that way. But that's the writer. That's the, depends upon uh, who wrote the Bible or who put the Bible together, the translation. The triumphal entry of Jesus. <clears throat> I remember in, in uh, Bible college, I had to do an exegetical study of the triumphal entry of Jesus. And I wished I still had my notes from back then. It would have made putting my sermon together go much faster for me this week. But the triumphal entry 
See, this was something that was prophesied five, six, 500 years at least prior to by the prophet Zechariah. We read in Zechariah 9, 9. Rejoice greatly, daughters of Zion. Shout, daughters of Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. It's amazing how God's plan unfolded then and continues to unfold now. This was prophesied about, that Jesus would come into town. Not only that he would come into town, but he would be riding on a donkey of all things. It said that he would be coming into town lowly and riding on a donkey. I ride horses. I can assure you it would be humiliating to ride out into the roping arena for me on a donkey. It's humiliating enough watching me rope, much less to have to try to do it off of a donkey. Now Jesus, he could have he could have had the finest stud horse that he could in the area if he'd have wanted it. He could have rode in on a horse that was decked out in, in jewels and in the fanciest breast collar and the nicest saddle. That's how he could have come in, probably how he should have come in. My goodness, he's the king of kings, and he was coming into his capital. When Brittany was little, that's my oldest daughter, she was, she was at about the age to start watching television about the time the Aladdin movie came out. Have you ever seen the Aladdin? It started out as a cartoon, and then here a while back I noticed it showed up on Amazon, and it's it's not animated anymore, so I, I watched I rewatched it. But during the movie Aladdin, you see these people, princes, that are coming in to court the, the princess, I guess. And what a magnificent display they have when they come in. They've got dancers and singers and people twirling and carrying them. And, and I mean, it's just quite the triumphal entry into this city just to come in to have a date with this little princess. See, that was kind of common practice back in Jesus' time. Maybe not quite the way Hollywood portrayed it. But the Romans would oftentimes have triumphal entry back into Rome as the Caesars or as the generals came home after a big victory in battle. There would be a big entrance as they came in and there would be parades and there would be celebration. This kind of thing would go on. None of them ever rode in on a donkey. As a matter of fact, I read somewhere that the Romans, even after Jesus' crucifixion, mocked the fact that he rode in to his triumphal entry on a donkey. But this was not uncommon practice for the Romans to do this. It seems that Jesus' triumphal entry was lacking in the appearance of grandeur. Yet it was the grandest entry the world has ever seen. And there were a few there who recognized it. As a matter of fact, they laid out their cloaks. They laid out their palm leaves. And they celebrated praising God as Jesus came into the city. They did not know what was about to happen. They didn't know Jesus was coming in to be put to his death. They just recognized the presence of an almighty God. They believed in Jesus and who he was. And they were celebrating it. 
as he rode into town. So why? Why was it that Jesus was always lowly? As that, uh, Zachariah put it. He rode in lowly on a donkey. You know, Jesus, he didn't have a palace. Here he was, he was the king. But he didn't have a palace. He didn't, he didn't have, he was not adorned. He was born in a stinking manger. And I mean stinking. If any of you have ever spent much time in a barn, you know they are not the, sm uh, the, the best smelling place. They can be dirty. But that's where Jesus came into this world, in a manger. See, Jesus was lowly in many ways, how he lived here on earth. Yet, he was the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why is it that Jesus was lowly as he entered Jerusalem? See, this triumphal entry that we, that we like to call it, of Jesus into Jerusalem, really wasn't his triumph. It was ours. Yes, Jesus paid the sacrifice, but Jesus didn't need to do this. He did it for us. He did not need to come to this world. He came for us. So Jesus' triumphal entry really was our triumph, and we didn't even know it yet. Because Jesus was going to come, and he was going to have victory over death, so that we could have victory over death. Jesus didn't need victory over death, folks. We did. It was us that he came for. Jesus, that he, he was lowly as he came in. He came in on a donkey because his job while he was here was not to be the king of kings, although he was, his job was to be the sacrificial lamb. See, Jesus was here to give himself to us. He wasn't here to rule. He was here to redeem. That's the difference. As he rode into Jerusalem, we know Jerusalem is a holy city. Jesus is God. It's his holy capital. Jesus, as he rode in, did not come in as the ruler or as a conquering hero, although he is and was. He came in as the sacrificial lamb to be slain for you and for me. The triumph and the triumphal entry is ours. It's the world's. That was Jesus' purpose for being here. That's why he came into the world lowly. That's why he appeared to be lowly. He was not here to be a ruler. He was here to be our sacrificial lamb. To die on the cross for you and me. To have victory over death so that he could give that gift to you and me. So that we can have victory over death. See, folks, if we believe in Jesus today, yes, our bodies may fade, our bodies may die, but our spirits never have to. We have life everlasting. Jesus did that for us. That's what the triumph was all about. See, God has always had a plan. 
ever since Adam and Eve stumbled in the garden and were banished, God has had a plan. We will find in Genesis chapter 3 the very first messianic prophecy. God knew right then that he was going to have to send Jesus and his, his plan went into action. And it's been unfolding ever since. And it unfolds yet today. In Galatians, we write, we find where Paul wrote, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons of God. I've always liked that scripture. Not every translation uses the word in the fullness of time. Some will say when the time had fully come, so forth and so on. It's just, it's just words. But I've always liked it put in the fullness of time. Think about what in the fullness means. If you have a bucket and you fill that bucket completely full, I mean to the top, you can't get any more water in that bucket, can you? It has a limit. If it's a five-gallon bucket and its limit is five gallons, if you put five gallons in it, that bucket is completely full. If you add more water to it, it will overflow, right? But it's never going to hold more than it's five gallons. In the fullness of time, time had completely been fulfilled at the time Jesus was born. Everything according to God's plan had been fulfilled that needed to be fulfilled at the time Jesus was born. It was planned that way. It was executed that way. That's what Paul's telling us. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. So he knew he was going to have to send his son back in Genesis. But then all these things, <clears throat> according to his plan, had to take place. And you can find all those things taking place as you read the Old Testament. But when it comes right up to the point that every last detail of everything that had to be fulfilled was fulfilled, then God sent his son. Now the same applies to Jesus' crucifixion. There was a plan. Jesus had to fulfill everything according to God's plan to the fullest, to the very most intimate detail. Those things had to be done so that that plan was full at the moment that Jesus went to the cross. So in the fullness of time, Jesus was sacrificed. Everything that happened that had to happen, and it did. It was prophesied about with, I mean, Daniel prophesied about it. There was a lot of different prophets that prophesied about it. Zechariah prophesied about it. Zechariah, as we read, prophesied that here Jesus would come lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt of a donkey, an unthrown colt. I mean, right down to the detail, do you think it's an accident that Jesus, as he approached the Mount of Olives and sent his disciples out ahead, that that colt that was unbroke was tied there ready to go. That was no accident. Now the owner obviously didn't know when he tied the colt there that morning that Jesus was going to be riding into Jerusalem. Who knows why he tied it? But God had him tie it. And he didn't even realize it because it was part of the detail that had to be completed so that the fullness of time would come. 
and that Jesus could be crucified in the fullness of God's plan. And that's exactly what happened. Guys, God's plan has not differentiated. Not one bit. In the fullness of time, Jesus came. In the fullness of time, Jesus was crucified. And I can assure you, in the fullness of time, Jesus is coming back. Once everything down to the finest detail has been completed according to God's plan, he's going to send Jesus back. See, Jesus, when he came to earth, he came lowly in a manger. He lived basically in what I would consider poverty. Call it paycheck to paycheck. I don't want, I don't even know how, how he lived. He's God. He can live however. But he did not live a luxury life that he could have lived. He did not return. He didn't come to this earth with grandeur, with celebration. He came lowly in a manger because he came to bring redemption. He didn't come to be the king of kings and the lord of lords. But I can assure you when he comes back, he will. The only reason he came in the first place to be sacrificed was because we, as humans, allowed sin into this world. And he had to come fix our mess. That's really what it boils down to. Jesus didn't have to come to the earth and have victory over Satan and victory over death to prove that he could. We already know God had victory over Satan because Satan and a third of the angels were banished from heaven. God showed his authority then. He didn't have to show it again down here. He did it down here because Jesus had to come to bring redemption to you and to me. And that redemption is available to us today. So the triumphal entry was not so much Jesus' triumph as it was our triumph. We already knew that Jesus could whip the devil. He came here. Can you imagine? Seriously. Being of heaven. Being God and happen to come here. That'd be kind of like moving out of the White House into a tent and your mother-in-law, who, by the way, hates your guts, his backyard, and then a million times worse. It'd be kind of like that. He didn't have to do it. But he did it for you and for me. So that we could have life everlasting. So that we could be reunited with our Creator the way we were designed to be in the first place. Jesus did it to fix our screw-ups. Now, in the fullness of time, He will return. I want to read Matthew chapter 24, verse 29 through 31. Immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light, and the stars will fall from heaven, and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. Then will appear in the heavens the sign of the Son of Man, and then all the tribes of earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Before I go any further, <coughs> I thought to myself when I read that, all the tribes of earth will mourn. I hope to be alive to see that. I truly believe this could be the generation that sees that. Things are happening. I will not mourn, I can assure you. And I got to thinking, why would it say all the tribes of earth will mourn? Think about it, folks. Once we've accepted Jesus 
We are no longer of the earth. We are in the earth. We are here, but we are not of it. So we are not part of the tribes of earth that will mourn. We're going to be celebrating. I'm going to fire up the grill, burn some steaks, throw a party when I see that happening. Jesus is going to come back, and this time it will be a triumphal. It'll be an entry like no king on earth ever had in the Roman Empire. It will be an entry to be seen. Because it says, and he will send out his angels with a loud trumpet call, and they will gather his elect from the four winds from one end of heaven to the other. You think the triumphal entry in the movie Aladdin was good. It will pale in comparison to what God has in store in the fullness of time. When that time comes, it will be a time of celebration for those of us who are no longer of the world. We might be in the world, but it'll be a time to rejoice when we see our Savior coming back. And I can assure you, it will be the type of event that will rock this world to its core. Like I said last week, you think coronavirus has scared people? You just wait. For people who don't know Jesus, I would not even want to think of what that kind of terror would be like. How scared you must feel to see something that you can't explain like that. But I can assure you, when that sky splits open and the angels and the trumpet of, the, of heaven sounds, for those of us who have read his scripture, for those of us who have accepted him and believe it, we won't be afraid. We will rejoice. Yes! We're getting out of the mother-in-law's backyard now. Folks. In the fullness of time, God sent his son. In the fullness of time, his son was sacrificed. And in the fullness of time, his son is going to return. Are you ready to meet him? Have you accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? If you have, it's something not to dread. It's something to look forward to. If you have not, I highly recommend you do it while you have the chance. I don't know. I'm, I believe in the end times. I believe we're close to the end times. But when it comes to predicting the end times, nobody knows. I don't care how much education some of our theologians have. They still don't know. They're still taking a guess. The bottom line is it's God's timing. It's for God to decide when the fullness of time is full. And when that happens, are you ready? If you don't, you need to get ready. You need to. Get on your knees and you just simply ask the Lord to come into your heart. Ask him to forgive you of your sin, the sins you committed for the sins that you were born with. Ask him to make you a new creature. Ask him to come into your heart and forgive you. And repent. That means whatever you've been doing that you know you shouldn't be doing up to this point, stop it. If you can't stop it, then you start begging God for his help. And I can assure you, he can help you. There will be times where you stumble. There will be times where you fall back. We understand that. Nobody is perfect. But it starts by asking the Lord into your heart and gaining salvation. Once you've received salvation, folks, you will be part of the kingdom of God. You'll no longer be of this world. You'll be of that world. You'll be in this world until Jesus comes back. What a day that'll be. Let's close with prayer. Dear Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. We thank you for these who have come and, and uh, 
for those who are visiting our Facebook, Lord, I just thank you for that. And I just pray, Lord, that you be with us. For those who, who don't know you yet, Lord, I just pray for your uh, convenient grace to come into their life, even before they're completely aware of what you're doing, Lord, and begin to pull on their heartstrings and, and bring them back to you, Lord, I pray. Just pray that you be with us as we depart from here. Watch over us. Keep us all safe this week. Bring us back together again next week. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. If you've never accepted Jesus as your Lord and Savior and you'd like to, but you're not really sure how, please feel free to email us at circle3podcast at gmail.com. Again, that's circle, the number three, podcast at gmail.com. We would love to help you out. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and click follow. That way you never miss a message. Cowboy churches are the fastest growing in the nation, so there's sure to be one near you if you'd like to try it out. Have a great day. See you next time.